We had a collaboration with some Chinese com uh, Chinese uh, scientists. Here we have a vaccine. What is the problem? Get over it. What we are very proud of now is that we penetrate the cabinets. Seriously, I'm, I'm making a serious point. I don't know what half of them are protesting against. We've still got Fauci walking around free. The man should be in irons in the darkest pit. As much as he touts that he cares about it, he doesn't. This is our revolution. It's not theirs. Don't let them take it from you. Don't let them convince you that it's their revolution when in fact it's not. It's ours. And we will have it. It is Friday, the 7th day of October, the year of our Lord, 2022. I'm Johnny Anderson alongside Bruce Adams and the fan favorites, somewhere between iconic and psychotic, Lord Marty Foster. Lord Foster, how are you? Well, I'm I'm okay. It's been a bit of a boring day, quite lethargic. I look anything but lordly, sat here in my man cave, wearing a coat, a scarf and a woolly hat because it's quite chilly outside. But yeah. Bored and and a bit lethargic. That's how I am today. I'm always honest about these things. How about you guys? I'm healthy and alive, enjoying the wonderful weather here. Not as chilly here. Uh, in fact, we still get like 80 degree temperatures here uh, Fahrenheit, and the evenings get fairly chilly though. I mean, we have seen 55. So no, how the well, other half live? You see that? Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's it's 11 to 15 here at the moment. Which is still not freezing, is it? It's still not no. freezing, and it's been bright sunshine. But um, once the sun goes down, the temperature drops a little bit. So, um, well, you and I are in the same boat, my friend. It was rather warm this afternoon, though. I uh, I did rather enjoy it just a little bit. So uh, we're going through what's called Indian summer right now. So it's um, yeah, this is going to be the last bout of it before we go into the uh, the long, cold, dark winter. Yeah, winter's coming. As, as yeah, the start, it so. is. It is. Uh, I've got some headlines today that we can discuss on the uh, the energy front. We can go down that road. Um, I'd like to go over Neil Oliver's latest monologue as well today. Uh, and we'll, I've got several other things we can talk about um, along those lines as well. So we'll roll into that as we go along. But um, Marty, where would you like to start? You've you picked um, you picked a topic last week. You set the tone. So let's and it worked. So let's do it again. What do you have? Okay. Um, a relative of mine, uh, a dearly loved relative, um, posted a comment on one of the NHS discussion forums. It's called The Big Conversation. And they've sent me a transcript of the comment followed by replies to the comment. And my theme for today is we've still got a mountain to climb. As much as I've met a few people in the last few days, few weeks, who seem to be waking up, um, who seem to be uh, understanding and, and seeing through the gaslight and the fog of propaganda and narrative. But these comments come from NHS staff. So if, with your permission, I'll, I'll just read out the comment, then some of the replies. Yeah, of course. As long as so, you just, just, I mean, obviously this goes without saying, but just so we're clear, we can't say any names or anything like that. So we'll just... Oh, no, there's there, there's no names involved. Very um, good. Yeah, continue. So the, the question posed by the forum was the bad and the ugly. What are the bad and ugly experiences of working in, and I won't mention the whole name of the trust, but it, it's affiliated to the NHS. And someone's put 
An apology for the bullying and harassment employees face to get vaccinated or lose their job. I'd give that a minus 10 rating. The above has been conveniently forgotten about, although I realise it was government policy backed up by the opposition Labour Party. Management and directors showed no integrity in opposing those higher ups in the NHS food chain to protect bodily autonomy from emergency use mRNA jabs. And I don't think anyone has a clue or cared what some of us went through, wondering if we would still have a job and how isolated and stressed we felt. This must never happen again. So the Post was asking for an apology, not an apology from government, because that would be ridiculous. We'd never expect an apology from government because they're completely complicit. But further down the food chain, you've got these directors of trusts, and not all of them are fully informed on on what the actual plan is and 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 why these jabs were forced on people. One of the first comments that was given was uh, there was never bullying or harassment. The communications were clear and they were helpful and gave you the option and opportunities available. The trust had to follow the government and NHS edict. Of course, we mustn't question the NHS executive or the government. So there you go. The mountain to climb is the fact that an awful lot of people who are still working in that organisation, despite the fact that they work in healthcare, aren't all that smart. They've either been completely indoctrinated and brainwashed or they they are complicit and and, uh, are putting these comments forward to simply naysay someone's um, request for an apology. Another one here. I can't agree with your comment. It astounded me that any colleague was refusing to have vaccinations in the face of decades of scientific evidence um, that they protect individuals and populations from communicable disease. Yes, vaccines do. mRNA doesn't. Okay, so that's a comment. That's a reply from someone working within the NHS. Um Someone, uh, uh, there's another one here that I just really had to, um, each of these was replied to and it it goes on and on. But one of the replies here is that sort of people leading this wave of anti-science posturing, which puts our patients at risk from the professionals who are supposed to help them. Give me a second. Oh, here's an absolute corker. Individual choice in a society sometimes has to be overridden for everybody's benefit, such as imposed lockdowns and curfews. Obviously, forcing vaccination on people against their will was always going to be controversial. And I think the government needs to have have a conversation about what it would do in a future pandemic instead of the whole making it up as they went along. If people know they will be asked to have a vaccine, not. Not the person here has gone from at one point saying mandatory in in not so many words to being asked, and I think that's that's the the main thing. If people were just asked and not threatened at the um, the risk of losing their jobs, it would have been a different response, and fewer people would have taken the the snake oil into their arms. But as I say, I, I don't want to read them all. There there, there are lots. But this is what we still have left to combat. This is still the mountain we need to climb. We need to convince even people working in medical health care that they were wrong. 
They were misled. They were lied to. They've been deluded. They've been gaslit. And it's very hard to do that because you can't have the conversation without losing a friend or upsetting someone or even getting yourself figuratively cancelled, as it were, if it's in something like social media. So, yeah, we've still got a mountain left to climb. And thanks for that job you did in the edit there, Johnny, and, and made it sound like I wasn't just waffling on. Thanks. No, you don't. Uh, you don't waffle on. I. Uh, I think that. Uh, I think we've got a, a bigger problem. Just to kind of expand upon this, I think we've got a bigger problem. And I. I. I completely concur with you when you say that we've got a a mountain to climb to now f- combat this uh, this ideology where people have been so brainwashed into the fact that uh, well um, people have to do this because not for you it's because it's for everybody else when there are clear dangers look at the death numbers for God's sake we can break that down country by country but the UK. Just by itself, the numbers are horrendous. They're actually talking about reducing life expectancy over the next five years from 75 to 53. Like we're, we're going back 100 years. It's insane. But I, I think I think it goes deeper than that. If you can just bear with me here for just a moment, it goes deeper than that. Bruce and I were just talking kind of candidly the other day offline, and he said, I wonder how long it's going to be until they just come out and say, we need to dispose of you simply because of your ideology. How far are we away from that? Well, to tie that into what you just described, to tie that into the medical system, specifically the NHS, this is an NHS care worker right here, this this lady. Now, I know you said mountain to climb. I'm not, I'm not going to be mean, but this young lady was on the Jeremy Vine show. This went viral across social media, and she's now been fired for what she has said. I couldn't believe what she said. I mean, I I wouldn't have believed it unless I actually heard her say it. And even Vine was... uh, Now, I don't know if he was just playing devil's advocate or whatever it is he does, you know, the virtue signaling king. But even he says, no, hold on a minute, hold on a minute. Really? We want to go there with it? You know? But this, this is the mindset that is even deeper than what you're talking about. And this is like, this is going to be, I I don't even know if this is, I don't even know if the word mountain is the right thing to say when you say that we've got a mountain to climb. Listen to this. The way you want to treat them. And and it eats you up. If you are there to do a job as a compassionate person, there are no resources. And you are told persistently on the news that, you know, care homes are being ring fenced. It's, it's a lie. And I'm sorry, but if you have voted conservative, you do not deserve to be resuscitated by the NHS. Oh, that is harsh. But I'm, I'm looking that. at these gentlemen. You if you're a conservative, you don't deserve to be resuscitated. No, she said, to be fair and to absolute, be absolutely accurate, she said, if you have voted conservative. Oh, if you've voted conservative. You not, yeah. Well, Okay, I guess that that makes it even that makes it even larger then, doesn't it? The problem is she's got her agenda to fight, and that agenda is a left wing perspective of the situation that has happened to the healthcare service that has been underfunded and undermined by the Conservative government here in the UK. But at the same time, we had eight years of Labour government prior to the last 12 years of Tory government, or however many years it is. And the NHS has been systematically weakened by consecutive governments 
because they're all bought and paid for WEF globalist puppets. Blair, Brown, Cameron, Johnson, and now Truss. Truss, yeah. Yeah. And so that lady, she does have a point, but she's making it wrongly, in my humble opinion. But of course, anyone who needs resuscitation should get resuscitation especially if they've um, paid their taxes, their national insurance, and are part of the UK and entitled to National Healthcare Service. So she's bang out of order for saying something like that. But the point she's trying to make is that the health service has been undermined by successive governments. And she's just blaming the Tories because she's of a left bias. And and that's the situation we've got. But also, a lot of the people who engage in social media discussion forums, like the one from which I read earlier, are care workers. And I don't want to tar everyone with the same brush, but some people wind up working in care um, at a very low level because they, they haven't got the qualifications or the education to do anything else, so are easily convinced yeah. And that's a you fair know point. It, it's that that sounds really elitist of me, and I apologise. But I think if if many of them, not all of them, because obviously the people who are in charge, some of the qualified nurses working in in care homes and those kind of things, they're qualified, they're educated people, but they've still had to believe the narrative. They've had to trust that what they were being told was the truth. While I was sort of thinking about that whole thread transcript it reminded me of when i was uh, a trainee weapons engineer and i'd go home on leave and my grandfather would tell me that some of the stuff i was learning simply wasn't true one of the examples was about water um is is water a conductor does it conduct electricity and most people who've um you know heard about the toaster falling in the bath would say that, yes, it does. But my grandfather explained to me that, no, actually, water is a resolver because water's cheaper than copper. So instead of having copper wires running everywhere, we'd have tubes with water in and we'd we'd run our electricity down that, wouldn't we? So if you have, and I'm sorry to go on about this, but I will get to my point eventually. If you have a bucket of dry sand and you then pour a litre of water into the sand, what happens to the level? Any ideas, guys? That's an open question to either either of you. That's funny. I've never actually tried that, but I'm going to go with it stays the same. No, it drops. It drops. Well, okay, yeah, because the you're compressing it, yeah, because the air dissipates in between the grains of sand. Yes, exactly. What there is, you couldn't breathe in that, so air is probably the wrong word. What actually happens is that the electronic charge that's keeping those particles apart is resolved by the water and they clump together. So a lot of what he was trying to teach me, I had to ignore. I had to ignore his facts, even though he could prove that what I was being taught wasn't quite true. Because when I went back to my base and my training establishment, I had exams to pass based on the facts that they were teaching me. And it's the same for these people working in care, working inside the NHS. They've been fed a load of bullshit and they have to go along with it because that's what they're supposed to do. They're supposed to trust the science. But thankfully, we had 
quite a few doctors, including that one who now historically challenged Rabid Jabid on national television about having the jab. And he was absolutely crucial in stopping that becoming a mandate. But it was too late for many people. Many of them had already had the jab because they were afraid of losing their jobs. So we've still got this mountain to, uh, of ignorance to climb and, and overcome. And the more light we can shine on it, the better. I haven't got the, the patience for the level of research that you guys and Ned does into the statistics that are openly available. But it's exactly that kind of information broken down into bite-sized chunks that anyone can understand that is going to overcome this. And, you know, we have a uh, we've got a cold and flu season coming up, right? We're headed into the winter. We're trending back down in there. And just on time, wouldn't you know, Marty, would you believe we're looking at a, at a possible twindemic of uh, COVID and the flu? That is amazing. That's absolutely amazing because last winter, last January... When I was in hospital for five days uh-huh. with um, internal bleeding uh-huh. um, and with COVID patients being on the same level as me and everyone walking around in masks. And I asked the staff in the hospital at the time, well, what's happened to um, to flu? What's happened to flu? Normally we lose 150,000 people in the UK a year due to the flu epidemic. Oh, there hasn't been any. There's been no flu. Everything's covid hmm. That should have been an alarm bell that should have triggered them to start asking questions about, well, is it or is it flu or what what is it? But they treat, the treatment is practically the same. So they wouldn't know, not at their level. Doctors might know. Doctors who who were experts in respiratory diseases, they might know. Yep, absolutely. But they were being told what to do by the higher ups, by people who were not doctors. I won't say non-doctors because that's a very old type of sex aid that they used to sell in the seventies. Feel free to cut <laughs> just, that bit. Just as I'm getting ready to talk, I just like it just hits me. So on that point, you say that uh, well, they're not doctors, okay? They're they're being told what to do by higher up doctors. Let's ask a higher up doctor. Let's ask Doctor Hillary Jones what we might be facing this year, shall we? Do we have to? We have to. We, we have to. Okay, I'm going to have to spit on the floor again. Yeah, we have Doctors to. are worried about a potential simultaneous onslaught yes. of both a uh, resurgence of COVID, which we're seeing right now, and flu. If you look I- at what's happening in Australia, which is a good gauge of what could happen in our winter, they've seen the biggest number of flu cases in five years. And one of the reasons for this is because we've all been wearing masks, we've been in lockdown, we've been hiding away mm. from COVID, so our immunity against viruses that cause flu have also uh, um, d- is also diminished. Right. So there is a risk that some people, particularly the people with existing uh, medical conditions, could be uh, at risk. What a lousy prick! <laughs> I didn't know. I didn't know he subscribed to the to the podcast because we've been saying exactly that for two uh-huh. years. Uh huh. The, the wearing of masks stops the natural pathogens that you breathe out. Sorry, breathe in and breathe out. Um, from allowing your immune system to respond to it and keeping it strong. And, yeah, of course there's going to be flu. There was flu last year as well, but they just called it COVID because they are corrupt, evil bastards. I think it's worse than that, though, uh, because when you look at when you when you look at it and get down into it, 
the masks and the mask wearing, the social distancing and all of that, that wouldn't have as big of an effect on uh, how effective uh, uh, our immunity is against the flu. That wouldn't have a big effect on that. Because here's the bottom line. We've all, the, the human race has been exposed to the flu and the antibodies and uh, we, we have the cell memory or, or immune memory, you know, the, the immune response already built up from previous generations that were passed down, right? So your body already has the immunity there. So you, you, you would typically have a good response to that. Here's the problem. Here's the thing that this is, he's, he's putting up a smoke screen. And diverting you from what the real problem is. We've talked about uh, the, this before. Yeah, he's, he's getting their excuses in first. Because yeah. I know what you're about to say. Because of the however many percentage it was that have been, I can't use the word vaccinated, poisoned, mm -hmm. they've had their immune systems hardwired to look for this one bloody protein spike rather than lots of protein spikes uh, or, or different antigens. So... That's what they've done to us. That's 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 why there's going to be a massive rise in flu cases is because they have deliberately and with malice aforethought weakened a high percentage of our immune systems. And people were queuing up for it to happen and desperate to get their next jab and their booster so they could go on a, a nice little holiday and, uh, and, and go to a football game, as Johnny says, and those kind of things. It was all... The stick and the carrot, and yeah, I I just despise that man. I despise him so deeply. Yeah, yeah. Um, there, there, there's no, there are not words to describe just how much I dislike that human being. Yeah, I I know exactly how you feel, especially when it comes to the American side of things with somebody that's you know just an elevated doctor like that that you see on TV. Because you were talking about the uh, the safety of these jabs that people were just queuing up from here to the Vatican. <laughs> like that's how long the, some of the queues were. It was ridiculous. It was absolutely ridiculous. But to be fair, maybe we're just looking at this all the wrong way because safety's not a concern with this, is it? It's it's not really a concern. You guys you guys think it's a concern? Well, before you answer, before you answer, let's listen to the American version of Bruce has already got this look on his face. Let's listen to the American version of our higher up doctor. Let's listen to Dr. Anthony Fauci. The booster similar to what we do with influenza. Okay. How can people safely gather for the holidays? Well, there are a number of ways. First of all, get vaccinated. Encourage the people, your family and your friends who you're going to be interacting with at the holidays to get vaccinated. How do you, how do you, con how do you convince uh, uh, friends or family members who will not get vaccinated? Let's say I have someone I love very much Why? and who I do not I do not judge them for not right. doing this, but I just worry them. I worry so much right. about them for not doing it because if they, they have, you know, they have other conditions and if they got this, right. it would be terrible for them. What do you, what's the argument here? Well, the argument is you look at the data and the data are absolutely crystal clear. Is the science in on whether the vaccine is safe? Oh, without a doubt, it's been given to billions of people in billions of doses. So there's no doubt safety is off the table. There's no doubt it's safe. But the important point is that if you reason with people and show the statistics of the number of hospitalizations and deaths among unvaccinated people compared to people who are vaccinated and up to date on their booster, the curves go hospitalization and death for people unvaccinated, hospitalization and deaths for people who are vaccinated. To have people just look at the data, that's not going to convince everybody. 
But for people who at least put a little bit stock in data, they should understand that. I'm going to let Bruce go because you and I have been digging into these statistics. Everything that that man just said is a lie about the data and the statistics, the hospitalizations, the death, the vax, the unvaxed. All of that is nonsense. The vaccine safety, the efficacy, everything. It's all BS. Again, it's a deflection, just like with Hillary Jones. It's almost like they're taking their talking points from the same people. Um, I have many words I want to say that I cannot say about this individual. <laughs> just real quick. Uh, the research that led to the COVID-19 outbreak. Yeah, he just funded more of it and sent uh, another $3 million to the um, Eco Health Alliance or whatever the hell it was called uh, with DASIC. So, and they're, uh, by the way, two of the projects that are currently underway are researching bats, uh, one of which is using gain of function to make the disease more deadly. But <laughs> whatever. Uh, the, the things that he was saying there are, that, that, that's a lie. Um, the data shows that if you are under 65 uh, and you don't have any comorbidities, like you're not obese, uh, you don't have any heart disease or something like that, um, the vaccine is like, 80 times more dangerous for you than actually getting COVID. It's immensely dangerous in comparison. Um, if you're of about uh, uh, 25 and under, uh, the chances of you having a heart condition after getting the vaccination is immense. I mean, we're, we're talking like one in 800 has uh, myocarditis. And of those that had myocarditis, 25% require lifelong, like for the rest of your life, which is at that point, for these individuals, about five to 10 years is the life expectancy. You're going to require medical intervention of, of some kind. No, this is a lie. They're also trying to push it and say that if you're pregnant, nursing or any, you should get the vaccine as well. I, I've seen a collage of, of news agencies, all the major players, all saying if you're uh, trying to get pregnant, if you're pregnant or if you're nursing, you should get the vaccine because this is totally safe. There is only two drugs that I'm aware of uh, that uh, doctors prescribe that is safe to take while you're pregnant, nursing, or trying to get pregnant, one of which is ivermectin. And that one was barred for whatever reason. No, this is all BS. If you do actually take the time to look at the data, not only do you find out that it's more dangerous for you to take this vaccine, but you also find out that it weakens your immune system for every boost that you get. And by weakening your immune system, you're going to be more vulnerable to the flu. You're going to be more vulnerable. This flu season is is they're predicting it to be like five times worse than previous flu. And it's not because the flu is all of a sudden more deadly or it's a, a different strain or any of that. It happens to be that 70 percent of the population took a jab or supposedly took a jab. That's why it's going to be more deadly. Just real quick before you weigh in on that, Marty, just because you mentioned ivermectin, he did mention that. Um, and I'll, I'll just play that now real quick. Did ivermectin do anything? No. OK. <laughs> Humans do take it, but not for this purpose. Right. It does not help with COVID and it could be dangerous. OK. Uh, hydroxychloroquine, did it do anything? No. No. <laughs> so people who hoarded that. No. No, no reason to have done that. OK. Right. Just just checking. Just just checking. Um, let me see. The exact same bastard who is sitting there on stage, boldface lying to you, is the same one that is responsible for having that pulled off the shelves right before all this began. So if it was ineffective, why did they have it removed? Oh, because these are drugs that are off patent. 
It literally costs if you if you buy ivermectin as a country in bulk in bulk, you know how countries will make bulk purchases on on certain medications. If a country buys ivermectin in bulk, it is less than one cent per dose. That's the problem. Well, normally the most obvious conclusion is is the right one. And in this case, Fauci is being told what to do by the people who've made him very, very rich. And they want that monopoly. They want that. The only course of action for people to take is the snake oil poison into their arms. And if people can't see that, then they 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 need to slap themselves and and, and wake themselves up and, and start analyzing and start picking apart what they're being told. You've got to read between the lines with these scumbags on on mainstream media, entertainment shows. I've forgotten the name of this bespectacled chap who was um, hosting. Uh, I've seen him countless times and and quite often immediately turned over every time I've seen him. What was his name? Stephen Colbert. The uh, the host there of the uh, the show, yeah, yeah, Stephen Colbert. Well, no wonder I don't like him. He's got a French name. No offence. Well, okay, offence. I don't even know if that's his actual name. It could be, but I don't know if that's his actual name or not. A lot of times, yeah, but he's guys, been but... he's such a he's such a um, rabble rouser, drum yeah, beater yeah. for the yeah, Democrats. Yeah. And well, and he's a shill for Big Pharma the... too. So I mean, he's yeah, like all all of these all of these uh, chat show hosts. They to keep their jobs, they have to be as as woke as possible and as left biased as possible because that's what they think the viewing public are into. And anyone who watches him, I, I despair, quite frankly, because I've, I've just found the man to be boring and uh, and way off the mark in, in what most people are actually thinking. Which is sad because he used to be funny. He was funny back in the day. He was. Uh, when he that's, was that, first. That's, that, yeah, but that's how he survived in the industry because yep. the industry has been grasped by... Uh, the globalist elite, by the, the the big corporations, by influence. In as much as they um, penetrate the cabinets, they they penetrated TV and Hollywood a long time before that. Yeah, and, and the, uh, we've the been... networks, the networks, Comcast and Viacom specifically. So, for example, you, I'm pretty sure you have it in the UK. At least I, I've seen it here before. I don't know if it's still on because I, I don't watch television. But you've all heard of the children's network, television network, Nickelodeon. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Comcast, Viacom. Yeah. Comcast, Viacom. Yeah. They get the kids at the young age through the entertainment on that network and they keep the same hosts each generation and they drag them up with it. So a lot of times when you see um, some of these shows that are on television networks, I'll say, hey, wait a minute, I know who that guy is. Because as a kid, they were hosting the kids shows when I was a kid on TV and they're being brought it's up. It's a stable. It, it's, yeah. it's a stable. Um, you know, they're, they're, it's an academy sort of situation where they get them young enough and they, they're indoctrinated and they're the face that fits and so that later, when they deliver the message that they really want you to hear, people who grew up with them will trust what they're seeing and hearing. Um, after that Fauci fun, I'm going to have to go make sure the air conditioner is turned on because I'm I'm roasting in here. I am seething over that. Uh, that. That just there's so many lives involved 
um, that that he's had a direct hand in killing. Not only did he fund the research, his his signature was on those receipts to the money. Uh, not only did he fund the research to make the virus, but he's fund. Uh, well, I mean, he's he's gained a bunch of funds from it. But then he's going and pushing all this poison pill uh, that that's killing people or maiming them, and we're okay with it. The, the, the population, the greater population is just suckling off of him and just they, they just taking it in. Oh, he, he says ivermectin's no good. It doesn't work. Go read the freaking research papers on it. Go look at it yourself. The damn thing show you it works. And that's what frustrates me is they, they say it doesn't work. But then all the data shows that, yes, it does work. And they it, people just don't take the time. They just listen to the expert class because the expert class knows what's best. And it just. And, and that's the exact situation of those people who were replying to that thread from that simple request for an apology for trying to force uh, jabs on people at the threat of their job. And they backpedaled in the end because it became obvious once someone had accidentally let it out on television that they were prepared to challenge, a doctor was prepared to challenge the health secretary, who has no medical qualification whatsoever, that they stopped the mandate. Uh, that and the millions of, of signatures on the petition to stop the mandate, one of which was mine. But the, the networks will keep hauling these people out, like Hillary Jones, whatever his name is. I can't um, believe he's still on TV. I really can't. He used, as I, I explained before, before his hair went grey and thinning like mine is, he was eye candy. Oh, the, the lovely young doctor on daytime television for, you know, stay-at-home mothers and unemployed people to watch. And that's what he was. You know, he, he was he was uh, medical eye candy, uh, and somehow he's managed to to keep his job and his his um, regular appearances in those daytime shows. I can't imagine when the last time he did any real medical work or had his GP surgery opened. Because let's face it, if if you had enough money made through TV appearances, the last thing you want to be doing is is sat in a in a in a small room with a sick person, would you? You know, people like him haven't got the vocation that other really, really good medical healthcare professionals have that will to help people. He's just helped himself. Same as Fauci is just helping himself. They are, well, they're parasites, really. That's all they are. They're parasites that, that live off sickness uh, and people's fears. I don't think I can describe them as anything more than that. I called him a human being earlier on, didn't I? I yeah. take that back. Let's um let's switch gears here a little bit unless uh Bruce you you have one last volley you'd like to throw in there before we move on because you'd look like I I can I can tell when Bruce gets really upset because he's like sitting up in his chair and he's like all hunched over <laughs> on the front of his desk and he's got the microphone kind of behind him. Yep. So I can tell when he gets really upset and I can see that he's still visually yep. very upset. Yeah. Leaning leaning on my desk that's yeah. another reason I'm hunched over. Unfortunately no. The only things that's left I have to say are not family friendly. So uh, we probably should move on. Can, can we just sum it up to say wire brush? Um, that would be putting it far too mercifully. So, yeah. Fair enough. I like the sound of that, though. Mm -hmm. Okay, uh, let's, uh, I tell you what, let's move on. Let's, because we got other things we got to talk about. Man, we spent a lot of time on that. I'll, I'll give you guys a choice. 
do you want to go through Neil Oliver's monologue? That is about nine minutes. I would really like to play that this week. And we can talk about the financial situation that we're all going to be facing, which is going to lead to our discussion next week. Next week, the three of us are going to talk about emergency preparedness. You don't want to miss it. And we're going to be promoting that all week. So you'll want to be here specifically next Friday for that. So do you want to go that route? Or would you rather talk about the UK police that have now arrested a mother of five for online speech? Let's have a listen to Neil Oliver. Neil Oliver. Okay, we'll talk about this one. We know that the, the freedom of speech is under attack. And for them to have done that, I think we need to look a bit deeper into it first before we talk about it. Fair enough. I will get the clip of Neil Oliver queued up. I should have had it. I do apologize. Neil Oliver, uh, again, this is his monologue for the week. This will take about uh, nine minutes, but as per, it's worth every minute of what he has to say. Take a listen. I want to tell you a story about money. To be more specific, I want to tell you where money comes from. The truth of which most people are unaware is that money is created out of thin air. Furthermore, every single pound, dollar, euro, yen, and all the rest is created out of thin air by unelected, unaccountable bankers who meet in total secrecy and profit always from their actions. Let's imagine you want to borrow £200,000 to buy a house. When you go to the bank and ask for that money, the banker doesn't give you existing funds, cash from a drawer, for instance. Instead, he creates that £200,000 out of nowhere, money that previously didn't exist. That money is not backed by anything real, no gold or anything else. It's conjured out of nowhere and exists now only because the banker says it does. He then says you have to pay him back the £200,000 plus, let's say for the sake of argument, another £200,000 in interest. He's allowed to credit your account with money that did not exist until you asked for it and he pressed digits on a keyboard and then he charges interest on that previously non-existent sum. Talk about a foolproof way to make money. This is how all money is created in our world. And this is why so many people are made to live crippled by debt. Every year, the British people pay tens of billions of pounds to private bankers as interest on something that did not exist in the first place. How can I be sure? But I suspect that if you or I were to attempt something similar, we'd be thrown in jail before our feet touched the ground. William Patterson, co-founder of the Bank of England in 1694, noted that, quote, the bank hath benefit of interest on all monies which it creates out of nothing. 1694, that's at least as long as this has been going on. How long we've been submitting to debt created by a handful of rich people to keep everyone else under their control. The Bank of England is technically owned by the British government and so notionally by the British people. The fact of the matter, however, is that the government does not tell the bank what to do. Like all central banks, the Bank of England is seemingly answerable to an entity called the Bank for International Settlements. The BIS is run by more unelected, unaccountable, secretive people over which we, the British, like all people in the world, have no say and no control. Most people have never even heard of the Bank for International Settlements, but it's housed in a great glass tower in Basel in Switzerland. It is the BIS that oversees the making and flow of well over 95% of the world's money supply via, to name but a few, the Bank of England, the US Federal Reserve, the People's Bank of China, the Central Bank of the Russian Federation, and the European Central Bank. 
It also influences a host of other smaller central banks, including in unstable and failed states like Afghanistan and Libya. We need an honest and open conversation about banks, all banks, and about another way of doing things, a way of potentially freeing the people of the world from the yoke of debt placed across their shoulders by secretive, unaccountable, profiteering private bankers. It may or may not offer the solution to our woes, but I believe it's time now to talk about it and, more importantly, to invite more people to understand what banks actually do and how they do it. If you don't trust me, how about Thomas Jefferson, founding father and third president of the United States, who said, I believe that banking institutions are more dangerous to our liberties than standing armies. If the American people ever allow banks to control the issue of their currency, they will deprive people of all property until their children wake up homeless on the continent their fathers conquered. The issuing power should be taken from the banks and restored to the people to whom it properly belongs. The Federal Reserve in the US was created at Christmas time 1913, when most members were away for the holidays. By means of the Federal Reserve Act, all control over money creation was removed from Congress and given to the Federal Reserve Corporation, a private company controlled by bankers. All this despite Article 1 of the US Constitution, which declares, Congress shall have the power to coin money and regulate the value thereof. Federal was added to the name to trick the people into thinking they, via Congress, were in control. Not anymore. Not since that Christmas of 1913. The Fed is a private corporation. Or what about the words of Henry Ford, who transformed the car industry, who said, it is well enough that the people of the nation do not understand our banking and monetary system. For if they did, I believe there would be a revolution before tomorrow morning. The private bankers would have us believe their way of doing business, of making money, is the only way. So, here, let me tell you an astonishing bit of forgotten history. So forgotten, you'd be forgiven for thinking some people don't want us to remember. Back in August 1914, with the First World War looming, people feared the future. More and more were converting their banknotes, bits of paper, into gold sovereigns and half sovereigns, as was the right in those days when Britain was on the so-called gold standard. But by 1914, the Bank of England had already been involved in dodgy dealings, creating money out of nothing. And there were far more banknotes in circulation than there was gold in the vaults to honour them. If everyone tried to get their gold out at once, such a run on the bank would have been catastrophic. At a stroke, Britain would have lost its ability to pay for the upcoming war. The bankers ran for help to the government and to the Chancellor, David Lloyd George. The August bank holiday was extended by three days. An act was rushed through Parliament, and when the banks reopened, people were offered a new kind of treasury note, issued not by the bank, but by HM Treasury, in lieu of their gold. Since the first batches bore the signature of Sir John Bradbury, the then permanent secretary to the Treasury, the public nicknamed them Bradbury Pounds. Because each was backed by the wealth of the nation, the familiar strapline about a promise to pay the bearer on demand was unnecessary and therefore absent entirely. The people accepted the Bradbury Pounds, trusted them on sight as cash they could see and hold and spend as they liked with perfect confidence and the banks were saved from certain collapse. It was sovereign money 
underwritten by the wealth of the nation and perhaps most valuable of all by the creativity and potential of the people of that nation. Unlike the money created out of nowhere by private bankers, it was interest-free and unburdened by debt. Britons were briefly beyond the clutches of private bankers, but their reprieve didn't last long. Having been spared the consequences of creating money out of nothing, those bankers were soon back at the treasury door, demanding the state stop issuing debt-free money. The war was up and running, and as is true of all wars, there was a killing to be made in among all the killing. The war must be run, those bankers said, only on money borrowed from them and repayable with interest, 3.5% interest as it happened. By the end of the First World War, Britain's national debt had ballooned from £600 million in 1914 to £7 billion. In 1914, remember, a pound was worth £122 in today's money. That's inflation for you. This is no longer the world of 1914. Any solution for 2022 must be made by us, for us, in the world of today. Henry Kissinger said, Who controls the food supply controls the people. Who controls the energy can control whole continents. Who controls money can control the world. Right now, all around us, the people are being nudged ever closer to digital enslavement by secretive, unaccountable bankers. Right now, control of energy by others we do not know is marching us towards the coldest, hungriest winter many can remember. Right now is the time to take back control of money, its creation, its value and its flow. By so doing, we can begin the task of regaining control of our world. All wars are banker yeah. wars. You know that, right? Of course. Of course they are. Uh, and, and money is the sinew of war. Take away the money, the war can't happen. And the actual quote from the, the Bible, not that I'm a religious man, as you have all come to know, is it is the lack of money which is the root of all evil. So it's the pursuit of fiscal gain that pushes people into evil acts. I may be doing Neil Oliver a slight disservice here because, as we said in prep, you can't really disagree with anything he's saying there. He's quoting historical facts and facts that have been brushed over and and brushed under the carpet to a certain extent in the history that we were taught at school. But you also said something else, and uh, I, I think we should confirm this one way or another, that the prime shareholder in GB News is who? Uh, it's a front company for Bill Gates. Right. So, Or not him, but his foundation, rather. His foundation, okay. So why would they let, this is the question that that piece has, has posed for me, why would they let something that is so damning be said on television, on a network owned by Bill It's Corn Gates? Why would they do that? And my only um, conclusion is that Neil is being used. He is controlled opposition, but I don't think he realises he's being controlled. He's an academic. He's probably a socialist. I can't say that for certain, but someone going through our university system and living their life as an academic and doing the kind of TV he did when I first saw him, it was, you know, it, it, it was world sciences. It, it was um, geography. It was all of those things that he was putting forward. So the man is an academic. 
and he probably believes what he's saying, but he probably believes, like the lady on the Jeremy Vine show, from a socialist perspective, but he's still being controlled opposition. So what good would him saying that do the cabal, you know, the, the Davos group? Well, I'll tell you what it is, what I think it is. He's showing us how weak and corrupt our monetary system is because they're just about to pull all of that from under us and replace it with something new, which if people realise how bad the current system is, then they will be more welcoming of the new digital currency that we heard the lady talking about the other day. Yeah, but at the same time, the people that are the ones that are torpedoing the current system that they can't even manage, I might add, like, like they can't even manage the system. They're now going to give us something even more complex and it's somehow going to work. You're going to bring in a digital currency. And, I, and I've, I'm just maybe I'm kind of maybe I'm, I'm being a devil's advocate. But at the same time, I, I don't dismiss these things either because we're barreling towards a, quote, energy crisis. You can't have a digital currency if you don't have power. And I made this point earlier this week. Then what are you going to do? Are you now going to shut out all of the cartels, all of the uh, human traffickers, all of the uh, the weapons traffickers, the uh, the the warlords, every drug dealer? Uh, I mean, what what are you going to do? What every gang banger, all that stuff? I mean, I'm telling you right now, these types of people. Oh, and believe me, I'm very familiar with that criminal element of this world. These individuals, they'll annihilate your family just for inconveniencing them. I would not want to be a central banker anywhere in the world if you're going to be cutting that group out of the economy. Their industry, that black market industry, is fueled by mountains of cash and private transactions. So They're not doing away with it. They're not going to do away well, with yeah, it. Yeah, I, I don't it, think they're going to do away with it, but... It's, it could be what you said the other day. It could be they just go in and take it over. Yeah, it, I, I think it's it, they, whether they take it over or not, it, it basically is going to end up being they're going to be part of the sovereign class. They're going to be protected in this. The, the transactions and everything that happen with this. See, you need that dialectic, do you not? You, you need that constant fighting. Well, criminals, that criminal world gives you some of uh, some of what you need. Uh, with, with the dialectic. And then on top of that, you have an element of you're a government or you're a, a banking or a business or something like that. And you have this sovereign status, right? The problem is, is now you have individuals that are a thorn in your side. You could just, you know, cut them off, but they'll still exist in the black market. So why not have some uh, enforcers that you can hire that are more than willing to get their hands dirty to finish the job? I mean, I, I, I can't see why they would get rid of them. There, there, there's too many uses for a criminal element for uh, a clean or a uh, viewed as clean uh, politician or, or banker or what have you. And it, it gives them talking points. They can say, well, we, we, we have to do this policy, this uh, social credit system or uh, more regulations or, or removing guns or whatever it is. We have to do it because clearly you, you see the traffickers. You, you see the, the kidnappings, you see the robberies, all of that that's happening. We, we have to double down and do these different. And at the same time, those are the groups that are protected. There's a word in Arabic which describes all the things that the Davos group respect. They're the only things they respect, and it's wasta. And wasta is a combination of wealth, influence, and power. And these criminal groups have indeed got wasta. The South American and Central American cartels control whole countries already. 
But what they're aiming for is a global government, a government of the world and sovereign nations to disappear. That is what they're after. Look at the Roman Empire. We, we've said this time and time again. Why do we look? Why do we learn history? Um, I said it a couple, uh, you know, a week ago. I think we learn history because it teaches us how to analyze a situation. It, we can look at the current situation and predict what is going to happen. Well, let's go back in history to the Roman Empire as it expanded and expanded. The actual control of those outlying regions became less and less. And you needed to have more and more soldiers to protect the expanding empire's border. And it was bankrupt in the Rome itself. And uh, they could not get the, the money from the, you know, the, the conquered lands back into Rome fast enough because some of it went missing. Some of it was diverted. Some of it wasn't declared. And this is what the digital currency is really all about, making every transaction visible and known about. There's no more doing someone a favour and getting a few quid in your pocket cash and not having to declare it as tax under a digital system because they won't have a few quid to give to you. The same goes with the drug cartels. They already own lots of land. They've already got lots of power, henchmen, you know, gangs that they can control an area, a country even with especially in Central America. So they would become useful and they're already useful because they've got Wasta and they are already connected somehow in that spider's web back to Davos, back to the world's billionaires that have grouped together and decided that they are now going to take control and be that world government. So as much as I like listening to Neil Oliver, and because he makes a lot of sense and he, he has a, an incredible way of, of researching things and putting them over powerfully, I think he is he is controlled opposition. Also, I uh, just want to point this out. Uh, it's the love of money that's the root of all evil, just uh, uh, for clarification. That is... Okay, the, the, the love, the lack, it all depends on which version of the Bible, which there has been many that you read. But we're not going to have a religious argument, are we now? Right, no, no, no. Yeah, that, <laughs> no. that wasn't the intention no. of that. My, my intention of that is, if you look at what goes on, for example, let's look at Fauci. You could say his greed, his love of money, is what drove him to uh, ban ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine, to push the jabs. Perhaps that's what the reason that he was doing all of this. I can't think of a reason, unless he's just like a, a serial killer, Psychopath, kind of something no, like that. They're, the they're Mangala, sociopaths. For yeah, he's a he's Dr. Mangala. Yeah. They are all sociopaths. Any of them who are deeply involved in this at the top are sociopaths. They don't really care about human life. All they care about is their own lives, maybe their own offspring's lives, certainly stuff that they have direct influence over. But us, they don't care about us at all. We said this quite some time back, and I, I'd like to reiterate it. Once you get that rich, money is no longer important. The only thing they've got left, because they've got bored with their lives of the being that rich, is power and influence, the other two parts of Wasta. And that's what they want. They want the power, the influence, the notoriety, the fame. They're just getting off on, on knowing that they are calling the shots. Being in charge is quite a drug. You know, it can, you can get a real buzz of taking charge 
of a situation and and seeing it through or or bringing it to fruition, whatever it is. That's what they're left with. When you're that rich, you don't have to worry about anything. All you're left with is how to make your life more interesting. And that's what's happening with these people. I have to be honest with you. Um, their management skills are a bit to be desired, my friend. Uh, even even if you were to say that wrecking everything is is within their interest, they don't have viable solutions on the other side. They're, like they're not offering viable they solutions. They do. They well, think they have. They, they think they That's, have. Yeah. They they live in that false reality. I'm not going to argue with you there. Do you look at the amount of automation going into agriculture at the moment? You look at how much land Gates has bought in America. I've mentioned it before, the, the weekly show here, Country File. I can't believe how many times they've shown automated dairy units where the cows don't require any contact with a human to get milked. And everything is, is done automatically, even harvesting and planting done automatically by, uh, you know, robots, basically. They haven't got real solutions, but they think the way that technology is moving that that is all they need. That's what they they are. The 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 new rich aren't agronomists. They're technocrats. People like Gates. People like Bezos. People like uh, Musk. They're all technocrats, and that's the way they see it moving. But I'm afraid we haven't we haven't got there yet, and hopefully we never will. In their minds, they have the solutions. Well, whatever solutions they've got, my friend, as far as I'm concerned, uh, they can kick rocks. I really don't care. I will operate in whatever system is outside of this monstrosity that is whatever it is they're trying to create, because I don't want any part of that. That is that is pure autocracy and, and misery and depression and death. That's all that is. And that's not me. That's not... That's not how I'm going to live my life. And I'm not going to be around people that say, oh, well, I'm just going to do this because this is how it is. I'm not going to be a fatalist in in that regard. I, I'm going to be who I am. Sorry. That's just what I am. And I hope, beyond all hope, that the majority of us wind up thinking exactly that way. That, you know, you've got to be yourself. You've got to do, uh, not in the Richard Branson terms of being yourself, Oh, obviously. God, no. No, no, no. But... Yeah, live your own life, live it the way you want to live it. But the more compliant we are, the more chance they've got of getting away with what they're planning. And it is a plan, and it is formed in... You mentioned in the last podcast about occultism being used in, in all of these totalitarian systems. Yeah. And again, it, it's, it, it is there, it is used, but it's not the real... Thing that's behind it all it's just a way of piquing someone's interest oh that'd be useful tell you what let's get them involved in this secret society air quotes and uh, and we'll we'll get some dirt on them we'll have them involved in some kind of sex act or sacrifice or or some kind of depravity that will tie them to us forever and that's why occultism gets used because it's fascinating to a bored rich person, uh, and they they just can't help themselves. It goes it goes back at least three hundred years here in the UK with the uh, organisations like the Hellfire Club, where all the the great and the good uh, of British society uh, were dragged into this depraved, debauched orgy club. I've done shows at some of the places um, where they used to meet. And uh, you've got these underground cavern systems where there'd be, you know, 
hookers basically dragged in and spread everywhere for these rich guys to come in and and I suppose they must have been days before photography they they must have had really good sketch artists to to grab pictures of them so they could be blackmailed later that's a black adder reference to the baby eating bishop of bath and wells so british listeners will at least get that reference <laughs> i'm glad you're laughing but yeah it's like skull and bones in the u.s at uh at yale university it's the same thing they bring them in and you know take them into these secret underground caverns you know they actually they made a a fictional movie that's based on that uh it was called um the hell was it uh the skulls they, they made a fictional movie, the movie. Yeah, it was based on it. Uh, and then there was another one that uh, that was done by, uh, let me see, Matt, I think it was Matt Damon that was in it and Joe Pesci. If you give me a second, it'll come to me. I have to look it up now. It's going to bother me. Did Pesci play the lawyer in it? I don't know what he was. I, I can't remember. But Matt Damon was like he was going through the uh, the skull and bones thing, and he was you know rolling around in the the pit of feces and being urinated on, and I mean it's it's graphic stuff. But that's what that that's what actually goes that, on in these things. We uh, call the good that shepherd, Tuesday in the good shepherd. Yeah, the, the, the Tuesday. Oh, the good shepherd, right? <laughs> the good shepherd. Yeah, <laughs> you call it Tuesday in your house. Yeah, it's called Tuesday in our house. But these yeah. things actually go on. That's what happens, and that that's how you get into this, um, like this stuff. And then you've got other things out there, like uh, Bohemian Grove, and you know, um, I, I've heard, I've actually heard an audio clip of um, uh, former President Richard Nixon. He actually went one year, and he said that's the most blankety blank 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 thing that I've ever been to, and I'll never go back there again. Uh, and it was, well, it, yeah, it's strange because that links in to um, the the clip of the the financial wizard lady whose father was a consultant for Nixon. Yes. Um, who, and she was predicting this digital currency. And you've got a room full of very rich people, most of them, well, many of them wearing uh, Kandoras and, uh, uh -huh. and Kudra. So you've got all the Saudi princes, you've got the UAE princes, you've got the Qatar. All those guys are in there listening to, to what's going on. And there's, there's got to be some sort of... Um, system where their wealth is going to be directly transferred into the digital equivalency otherwise they will never let it happen and maybe that's where the the real resistance is going to come from because if we move away from the current banking system they're going to be the real losers yeah that's because true. that is true all of their all of their wealth is is stored digitally but it's stored as dollars or um, Euros, reals yeah. or yeah or dirhams you know you know you, so, you mentioned that's an interesting point I, I wasn't considering that you you had brought up and we're over on time here but that's okay we're going to end here in just a second but you you had brought up the point many times before that the royal families out in the emirates they're so <laughs> they're so wealthy that they are incorruptible and that makes me wonder now they are so wealthy that they will not crap on their own people for money because they know it's going, they, they know it's going to come to them from somewhere else. They don't have to steal from their own people. Everyone, um, apart from a few saints, are corruptible at some point. Everyone's got their price. But these guys, when they form a benign air quotes dictatorship, they are not going to crap on their own people. They look after their people because the money that they can get from their people is nowhere near the money they're going to get from their country's mineral resources or, or other sources. So, yeah, it is still a workable system. One of the things that was on my notepad, and I, wanted, I want us to have a, a chat about this on another podcast, is what do we need to have 
to make the perfect democracy. That conversation needs to be had because clearly the democracy in my country is no good anymore. The democracy in your country or in America is no good anymore. Forget Europe. It's all run from Brussels. So at some point in the near future, I'd like us to do a podcast on that. But we are yeah. very, very short on now. Yeah. So uh, we are I'm going to shut up. And we can, we can go this direction with it. This is out today. Europe is quietly launching a new political club with hopes that Brexit turmoil can be forgiven. And you see, you're back in the fold in the new system that they're going to create. My guess is, is that in anybody that's familiar with how this went, uh, when the League of Nations was on its way out, they already had the United Nations set up ready to come online when the League of Nations collapsed. The EU, in my opinion, is about to follow the same fate. And lo and behold, they've got a successor in the works already ready to go. But that's a discussion for another day. I want to thank you for being here this evening, Marty. We will see you next week. We will be talking about emergency prep. For those of you who'd like to send us some feedback, please do so anytime by sending us an email at dynamicpodcast.protonmail.com. Also, do you like the podcast you're listening to? We do love having you as a listener, and we would ask you to pass this along to five friends. That's all, just five friends. Do you know someone you're trying to wake up and get them to think on their own? We would appreciate it very much if you would send them our direction. Gentlemen, it has been an absolute pleasure. I want to thank you both for being here this evening. Thank you to all of the listeners. Everyone have a great weekend, and we will see you on Monday.